We are Greg and Candy Seeger, uh, and we have a few years of medical missions experience. Uh, we led teams out of South Florida, uh, probably about six to eight teams per year for uh, a number of years. Then we went to work with Mercy Ships full time, uh, and we served with them from 2004 to 2006. Uh, our job there was really to help. Uh, figure out a context in which to use short-term missions in, in the broader community health perspective of in, in trying to utilize them within of really changing the environment and transforming communities. And that's not an easy concept when you think about it because we're there for a week, we're there for two weeks. But what we want to do today is really give you some tools to do that. Of our present services that we're doing workshops like we're doing today, uh, we wrote this little booklet. Uh, our prayer is to be here to serve you guys uh, in whatever way we can and to be a resource for you, to give you whatever information we can, to pray for you, and just to be make ourselves available to you. Uh, and, you know, we're going to give you our contact information, uh, anything we can do to be a resource for you. Anything we can do to be a resource for you, that's what we're here for. Uh, there is two primary thoughts that drove everything we're going to share with you this morning. My, my mission pastor, when we first started doing this, and we went to him and said, look, we want to take teams into developing communities for missions. I can't hear you, honey. Sorry. You're going to have to put it up here. Try that. Yeah. Is that better? Yeah. We may trade. Is that one okay? Yeah. All right. Uh, our, mission, my, our missions pastor said to me, uh, have you ever really assessed the impact of the short-term medical groups you're taking on the communities you're serving? You're going to need to use this. It's just not. I don't. Are you getting it in the back? Can you hear okay? Oh, they can hear. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll speak loudly as well, so I'm not even sure we really need the mic. But So we began to do that. Uh, and that really placed some real serious questions in our heart. We began to first ask for the first time, is medical missions a good thing? Uh, and, and is there a potential in probably the biggest question we had to answer was, is there potential harm? caused by short-term medical mission groups. Pretty hard concept when we just automatically assume that what we do is a good thing. So we began to research. We began to, at least on a subjective level, began to research. We began to communicate with public health authorities, with ministries of health, with community, with the, uh, ministry, with co the uh, medical colleges, the nursing colleges, the schools, and really began to, we had to answer a number of questions, but probably the first one was, how did they see us? How did they view us? And I, I'm going to share with you some case presentations that we got back that, that are probably, uh, it, it, it may change some of your perspectives on, on what we're doing and how we're doing it. And, and that's our goal here this morning. If we want to foster health system development, if we want to come alongside communities in their struggle for health, uh, and wholeness in their community. We have to be able to take an objective look at short-term missions. We need to step back and say, is what we're doing a good thing? And if it's not, how do we change it so that it is? Our heart is to give you some tools to re, you know, really kind of reestablish that. He's totally lost his place in the cards. You know, I tried to organize him. I'm Candy. I'm his wife. He's my better half, I have to say. We were going to try to keep it light today, okay? Yeah. Um, uh, you know what? A couple of things Greg um, kind of missed in our introduction is that we live in San Antonio. We have three beautiful daughters, one little grandson. He's three years old. And uh, our missions field is now in the hospital here in the United States which I don't know. How many of you work in a hospital setting right now? Okay, you know what kind of missions field that can be. I work in an MICU where most everybody comes to die, and uh, it's an amazing thing. So um, 
just a little bit of a light note on who we are. Um, we do a lot of things during the week, during the day. We're very busy, but we, this is our passion. We are passionate about this. We have made so many mistakes. And we are trying to share that with you. Um, there's someone here that actually went on a trip with us, and I'm pr she's probably going to, at the end of this, go, oh, my, I didn't even think about that while we were there. But um, that's our heart, is just to help you open your eyes. And there is one very important um, thing to remember, that a short-term team has one purpose, and one purpose only, is to serve and support long-term missionaries and their programs. We're there to support them. Because if you think about it, when we go away, we could be leaving spiritual orphans. We could be leaving medical orphans. They don't have those pills when we go away. So we are trying to help you see that we need to take care of the whole picture. When I got into nursing almost 25 years ago, um, <laughs> um, I remember it was all about the cause. And don't treat the symptom. Look for the cause. I don't know about you all that have been in nursing or being a doctor for a long time, in medicine, period. I've seen a huge shift. Now it's what pill can make us feel better. And we're not going back to that cause. Well, these people don't have that opportunity, so we have to go to the cause. We have to find the cause to help them. Um, the goal of our workshop is to start making a change in focus from prescriptive medication to preventative medicine. Now that little cue there was he wants to say something. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And that really is basically what I was going to say. If we, can, if we can do anything to foster health system development, it's that mindset shift has to take place in this community first. We have to stop exporting the model of medical practice that we have here. Okay, and that, that's a huge mindset shift, and it, and it may not be easy to make, but we have to be willing to take a realistic look at that. Of, but why? Why do we need to make that mindset shift? There's a place for medication or for prescriptive medicine within short-term missions. It is a much more limited place than we have used it, okay? And we have to really begin to look at that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to ask some questions here right now, okay, that I think will, you know, I hope will open your eyes a little bit. They certainly opened ours as we began to look through them and began to try to answer them. Uh, we wrote this list, I think, in 2004 Six, or oh, five. Five, five, 2005. Of, and, and I want I want to just read them, and as we go through the material today, we're going to hopefully get to most of them, okay? As you're looking at this list, <clears throat> after we wrote it, you just need to know how many long-term medical missionaries came to us and said, can we please use your list? Can we use this as a resource? Because we feel that this is an invaluable bit of information for short-term teams to think about. What you can be doing as a short-term team is undoing what long-term missionaries have been working five, six, ten years on. So just keep that in mind as you're looking at our list. So real quick, like I said, I'm not going to emphasize these. I'm not going to talk a lot about each one because I think we're going to touch on them as we move through the material, and we probably need to move along. Otherwise, we'll never get through this one day worth of material in an hour. <laughs> uh, yes, ma'am. It's uh, They're right over here on your disc. They're going to be on the, the disc. This is in the book. It's you, on your disc. Yeah. If you got one of the discs... That it, all of this information that we are giving you today from the booklet and from IMCI is on the disc. And if it's not, we're going to give you our email address and we will send it to you. So whose needs are we trying to serve with our short-term teams? The team serving or the community? That's a very important question, and we need to really think about that as we progress in medical missions. Are you fully aware of the government and non-government health services being provided in the community you're serving? That's extremely important. We not only need to know, but we need to work alongside them to foster their goals for health in their community, not ours. Of, are you aware of credentialing process for the country you're serving? Does each physician and nurse in your group have governmental authorization to work in the receiving country? It is illegal to practice in a country without government authorization to do that. Okay. If of... I don't want to, I'm not going to expand on this too much, but if, uh, 
if someone comes here to practice, we expect them to go through the practice or for the, through the procedure to obtain proper credentialing. We need to do that in other countries as well. Okay. I mean, there are some countries that are so far down the human development index that, you know, that process is very difficult. But where it does exist, we need to pursue that. We need to get proper authorization. Does your team ad adhere to acceptable pharmaceutical standards for developing communities in the dispensing of medications? Okay. We're going to talk about that when we talk about some of the child health standards. Uh, how is follow-up care being provided to those whom you treat? Big question you need to really ask. And you need to work through these before uh, we go, especially if we're providing more uh, complex, like surgical uh, services as well. Uh, how is follow-up care being provided? Well, we, we said that. Are, uh, are weights, heights, and immunization data being recorded for all children, zero to five? And how is that information being used to support local health systems or long-term programming efforts, okay? If I could ask you one thing about short-term missions is did you come out of that community with an effective picture of what the health problems are and what the disease prevalences are in that community, okay? We can do that. We go into a community and we'll see a 1,000 patients, and then we walk out, we have no data, we have no uh, documentation. When if we gathered this data, we'd understand malnutrition prevalence in that community. We'd have specific community health education and community programming targets to reach for the next time we go back to that community. And the next time uh, we communicate with the local health system, we can sit down with them and say, look, this is the data we gathered. What can we work with you on to deal with this? How can we come alongside you to make sure that your children are immunized? How do we come alongside you to develop nutrition programs? You know, so these short-term, I want you to start thinking outside the box about short-term missions as far as taking $60,000 worth of pharmaceuticals and dropping them in a community with a zero health knowledge base and thinking we did a good thing because most of the time we didn't, okay? Of... Are you using... Are you using that data for anything? We kind of talked about that, and we're going to talk more about what we can do for a community assessment. Uh, are there anyone else on here that you want to really discuss? You'll have a copy of this list. I want you to read it and uh, you know see what you think about it and, and work through these and process these questions and pray about them and, and use them. I, I mean, everybody in here, most everybody in here is a health professional. We can really strategize on how to improve the health of these communities on a short, with our short-term groups. We just haven't thought, thought it through. Uh, it may take just a little bit more effort, but it's really the, the, the better thing we can offer. Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll share that with we're gonna, you when we're gonna we get to We're going to get to that in a couple minutes. Yeah. Uh, my one thought is is that if you were a physician in a community or a nurse, because what we have to remember is a lot of these communities, their health provider is a nurse, wouldn't you love to have this information? You know everyone in your community, and if we, by assessing everyone, come up with a list of children or mothers who are at a high risk, wouldn't you love to have that information so that you can keep a better eye on them? So this is just stuff that we just don't think of all the time. And um, I'm going to share with you a little story. It's Raku's story. If you were here last year, we shared it. And it's kind of a touching story. How many parents do we have in here? Okay. This you might need a tissue. but <laughs> This goes to why we're, we want to really rethink uh, what we're doing and how we're doing it, okay? And, and we'll talk more about it after we're done, but it, it, it's really going to direct everything we do from here on, I hope. Um, this is a true story, and it's kind of a, an abridged version, and it was written by Sheila Serbrig, and uh, it's about a small village in India. And I'm sure that if you've been on a team, you've seen something like this. So uh, Raku had wanted to only breastfeed her baby. This had long been the tradition of women in her village. However, in order for her family to survive, Raku had to work in the landowner's fields from dusk or dawn to dusk. 
With the long hours of separation from her baby, she had little choice but to give her baby other foods. Soon she no longer could produce much breast milk. As both a landless peasant and a woman, Raku was doubly disadvantaged. For long hours of exhausting work, she was paid too little to adequately feed her family. Since the age of seven, her oldest son, Cannon, had been helping make ends meet by taking the cattle of several landowning families out to graze in the shrub. While she was working in the distant fields, Raku left her baby in their wattle hut in the care of her five-year-old daughter, Panu. Each morning before dawn, Raku would haul water from the distant water hole. She would pound a few handfuls of ragi and cook it into a gruel for the family to eat. Although there was often not enough to fill all their stomachs, Raku would always leave a little on the plate, instructing Panu to feed it to the baby while her mother was at work in the distant fields. Even with the older children also working, the family's earnings could scarcely buy enough food. The baby, like the rest of the family, often went hungry. Worsening malnutrition and repeated bouts of diarrhea soon became a vicious cycle. Sometimes Raku took the sick baby to the traditional healer who gave him rice water and herbal teas. The baby would usually get better for a few days, but soon Raku's baby became thinner and thinner. One day he developed such severe diarrhea that did not get much better even when Raku gave him the traditional remedies of rice water and herbal tea. His runny tummy continued for several days until the baby was as limp and shriveled as a rice patty in a drought. In desperation, Raku decided to take her baby to the hospital in the city. This was a hard decision as Raku had to miss a day's work and a day's pay. At best, this meant a day without food for the family had no reserves. At worst, Raku might lose her job, the consequences of which she was afraid to think about. She knew what a wiser mother would let her sick baby die to preserve the rest of the family. But Raku's love for her baby was too strong. Raku sold a bronze pot she had inherited from her mother, the last of her remaining possessions of any value, to pay for bus fare and medicine, and took her baby to the city hospital. She had to pay a bribe to the guard to let her in the hospital gate. After hours of waiting in long lines, at last her baby was seen. By then, the baby was on the verge of death. The doctor scolded Raku for waiting so long and for not taking better care of her baby. He referred her to a nurse who carefully explained to her the importance of breastfeeding and something the nurse called hygiene. Above all, the nurse emphasized her baby needed more and better food. Raku listened in silence. Meanwhile, the doctor put a needle into a vein in the baby's ankle and connected it by a thin tube to a bottle of glucose water. By evening, the baby's shrunken body filled out a bit, and he seemed more alert. The diarrhea had stopped, and the late-night nurse removed the needle from the baby's leg. The next morning, a doctor gave Raku a prescription for medicines to buy in the pharmacy and sent them home. On the way home, the baby's diarrhea began again. Arriving back home, Raku had neither food nor money or anything left to sell. Her baby died a short time later. So what's the point of that? The point of that story is if we're really going to if we're really going to affect change in communities with short or long term missions. We have to begin to set that type of target for our work. Okay. That means that we have to think outside the box, that our traditional model of medicine and prescriptive medicine in these communities isn't going to work. And neither, by the way, is just addressing these issues, as you heard in the story, with superficial community health education. Okay. We have to be able to sit down with Raku and her family and really help them strategize and process how to, to do life and, and, and how to make it work and how to help her child survive. And, and that's way beyond the expectation of a short-term team. But we have to be able to think about those targets and we have to be able to walk alongside her. And I mean... 
so much so many of us go into a community we go and stay in a hotel and eat a nice meal in the morning and then we go into the community and think we're walking alongside Raku and her struggles and we have no idea of and if I could instill anything in you it's a passion to walk alongside her in that uh, in, in everything that she does just for a day and in fact when we trained we did longer term community health training and we would put people in the community for a longer period of time and make them walk alongside a mom for a day or two days and help and just see how difficult her circumstances were because if I can tell her to boil water but if I don't think about how much that adds to her day, it's not going to get very far. Okay. We kind of forget they have to get the wood to burn the fire, and you know, and then they have to boil it, and then they have to cool it off. There's all those things. We just kind of forget. We just say, okay, get a pot and boil it. Well, they might not even have a pot. You know, you just forget all of this stuff. Keeping Raku in mind, we're going to move forward, and I, I, we're going to come back to her, uh, I think, a few times through throughout what we're going to do here. Of she is the why of, of why we want to rethink about reframing our thought process in, in medical missions. Of but I, Candy's going to read this scenario. We're going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, but this is one of the case presentations that we collected. There's a number of these case presentations in the booklet that we gave you on the CD. Of I hope you'll take the time to read them. Of I, I think they'll, you'll find them invaluable in, in your mission service and what you do from here forward. Let me bring this over. I don't know whether you can hear me or not. I have a pretty loud voice, but I was the cheerleader. <laughs> a general medical team was serving a village community in Central America. Maria, a 29-year-old mother of five, arrived at the clinic pharmacy to receive her medication after having her entire family seen by one of the physicians. How many have gone on a short-term trip? Okay. And how many have filled prescriptions and given instructions? Okay. And how many have given those prescriptions? to a family of five. Okay, keep that in mind. <laughs> um, she had three prescriptions for herself, and let's keep in mind she probably could not read, and if the instructions might be in English, that's really bad. We did that on our first trip. Not good when you're in a Spanish-speaking country. She had three prescriptions for herself, and each child received prescriptions for parasite medications and vitamins. In addition, three of the children were febrile, and two had been dis diagnosed with otitis media, and one with strep pharyngitis. Each of them also received antipyretics, which is Tylenol, and antibiotics. Dosages were carefully explained to Maria for the 12-year-old, 6-year-old, and 6-month-old children. Less than a week after the team left the country, Maria's six-month-old child was brought to the public hospital in that region in acute liver failure and died. These are true stories. They're not stories. They're facts. Maria had mixed up the doses of medication and been overdosing her six-month-old with a Tylenol for an entire week. I guess the question we have to ask is how, how often does this happen? I don't know. It's not the only case that I know about. I can tell you that. There's other cases within this book. We're not going to have time to cover them this morning. Uh, but it presents a strong argument for us to rethink how we do what we do. Okay. On the CD that I gave you is this program. Who, who's ever heard of IMCI? Anybody? Okay. Integrated Management of Childhood Illness. These, this is the standard for uh, child health in developing communities. We need to learn it. Okay. If we're going to practice and we're going to see pediatrics in developing communities, we need to learn this information and we need to practice it. There is uh, about six to eight hours of course material, including video, on that CD that I gave you so that everybody here can learn it. And... and I, I can't tell you how important that is, that we go along and we actually learn the standards and we actually practice them because we have to model effective practice for local providers as well. Okay. Greg and I were talking about this this morning. If you were a GI doctor, would you want him taking care of your baby? You know, I mean, if we went into 
a hospital today would, we work in an area where we have no knowledge or expertise. That's not what you want. We need to learn what the needs are in this country. And the research has been done. So we have, all we have to do is learn it. And we need you to share this with everyone. If you hear of a church going on a trip, please share this with them so that they have a better idea of what they're going to need to do to really help the community and you, not do harm. You can load this on your computer and then pass it on. Pass the CD on. Uh, we don't, we're, we're not selling these resources. We just want to get that information out there because <clears throat> we feel it's this important. Uh, so what can we do? Of These are the standards. This is the chart booklet that appears. This should be a reference for you guys to carry hands-on in communities, okay? And uh, you can print this. It's on the CD, of it, and it's under chart booklet. If you, open the, this, if you open this, when you open the file on your CD, this is what you're going to see. The, if you click on the red IMCI, it takes you into the interactive tutorial in the guide, okay? We'll go back to that when we get into the in more detail. But this is what the standards are for prescribing medications to a child in developing communities, right here. This is the WHO standard. How many people have really feel like they've they've met this? Determine the appropriate drugs and dosage for the uh, for the child's age and weight. We do that. Tell the mother the reason for giving the medicine to the child. We do that. But in the amount of people that we see, do we do the rest of it? Watch the mother practice, excuse, excuse the S, I'm not quite sure who, uh, who wrote this, but uh, somebody from the World Health, or- Health Organization, not me. Uh, watch the mother practice measuring the dose by herself. Ask the mother to give the first dose to her child. Explain carefully how to give the drug, then label the package of the drug. If, the infra- uh, if more than one drug will be given, collect, count, and package each drug separately. Explain that all oral tablets and syrups must be used to finish the course of antibiotic, even if the child gets better. Uh, We do this inherently here, but somehow we drop the standard as soon as we get on the airplane for some reason. I don't know how or why we do that. And to check the mother's understanding again before she leaves the clinic. My thought is, is too, you know, what's the big key word right now? Best practices, right? You know, in the United States, everything's best practices. Why aren't we taking those best practices with us? These are the evidence-based practices. Uh, In the booklet, we wrote some basic recommendations, okay? I'm going to cover them, and, and they will help us. They will help you stay out of trouble, when it comes to prescribing medications in developing communities, I think. I mean, it's not a comprehensive list, but it should help, you know. Uh, know the country's pharmaceutical dispensary laws and respect them. Ideally, a local pharmacist or team pharmacist should oversee the dispensing of medications and local staff. Ideally, if you're hiring a local pharmacist, we want to compensate them. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, you'll see why here in a minute. Uh, health education. Not medication should be the focus of medical mission teams. Okay, That's huge. If we can make that mindset shift in itself, we will have accomplished so much, so much for these communities. Uh, and one of the things that we're going to talk about is establishing health education targets Okay, and what those should look like. No expired medication should ever been t- be taken into a country. Okay. This is bad practice. Uh, there's a couple case presentations that explain why that's bad practice in here. You might want to read through them uh, when you get this when you get this home. Uh, no sample or unlabeled medication should ever be taken unless the complete dosing regimen can be given out. Okay, don't give partial doses, and that's the problem with samples is we end up giving a lot of partial doses. Of uh, you know, other than the fact they're not attainable, those drugs are usually not attainable within the country that you're dispensing them. It's just bad practice. Of uh, if it would be better to go to a local pharmacy and buy, uh, if you want to treat hypertension, go buy you know hydrochlorothiazide and metoprolol in country. Okay, you can buy it dirt cheap. Of uh, you know, there's no point in trying to drag these medicines through customs uh, when it comes to stuff like that. 
if you know there's a lot of medicines you can get very inexpensively and there's a lot of places that will supply medicines here in the United States uh, but they'll supply you medicines you don't need so you know think about what you're taking you, you really when I said there's a limited role for prescriptive medicine and medical missions I want to say it's probably 10% of what we're prescribing out there right now really uh, you know and if you think about it I, everybody's been on a short-term mission but and I, and I know I know I'm saying stuff that's not popular <laughs> don't shoot me please don't shoot me how many kids are really sick? How many people do we see that are really sick, that are really that present febrile, that present, you know, with a potential pneumonia, that present with, you know, real severe bacterial illness that you really feel that you have to treat? How many of them are there really? 10% of what we see? Most of those people are coming to see you to get free medicines so that when they are sick, they have them. So if we do our job and properly triage, we can eliminate a lot of these problems. There's a wonderful program. It's CHE, C-H-E. Um, We're going to get to that community education. Yeah. We'll talk about it. He, when we, I took that with Roland, or Stan Roland, it was wonderful because what he did was really open my eyes. There's definitely a place out there for us. We could help evaluate a community hmm. and treat the people that really need to be treated, but in that evaluation, come up with a good plan for them so that the long-term missionaries and the pastors can go on I, with I, it. We can't say that enough. Assess, assess, assess. Record come back with documentation with all those kids weighed, measured, and graphed. Uh, we want to know the uh, prevalence of high-risk pregnancies in that community. How many women are potentially preeclamptic, hypertensive, you know, and, you know, how many of those women are gestational diabetes? We want to be able to establish that to find those health education targets. Never, well, let's go back to number seven. Medications should only be prescribed when absolutely necessary and dispensed in child-safe containers, not Ziploc baggies. That is contradiction to most of what you hear out there in medical missions world, but it is fact. We would not dispense medications here in the United States in Ziploc baggies. Why do we do it in developing communities? Do they deserve less than we deserve? And I think if anybody has that mind to invent things, we need to come up with a little invention that we could use because to take plastic bottles with us is really a challenge. So we're actually, you know, saying we haven't quite figured you, you that out yet. You oftentimes can buy. We, we bought them yeah. in, uh, in local pharmacies, depending upon the they, country you're, you're going to. But a lot of the pharmacies have them available. You can, you know, if you have a local missionary contact, you can buy them in, in a local pharmacy and have them order them for you. Uh, never attempt to sneak medicines into a country. This is punishable by imprisonment in most countries. Medications can be purchased on-site, in-country, very cheaply in most cases if you have the right missionary partners, okay? So don't try to sneak anything in. You know, I mean, if, what happens if you sneak drugs into the United States? Okay? <laughs> Think about it in that term, you know, because it's not right, it's illegal, and it's punishable by imprisonment. And you don't want to find yourself behind bars in Guatemala, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, we were talking to a missionary from Guatemala last night, and he said that um, they had a group come in that had come to the conf uh, conference he had spoke at, and they came up to him afterwards and said, we've done everything you told us not to do. What do we do? You know, <laughs> it's like, and they actually had all of their medications confiscated at the airport. Yeah. Could you imagine doing all that work? going down there. But I always look at like the Lord had something else in mind. He took away your one tool, he's going to give you another one. Uh, is Arnold Gorski here? I, I think it's Gorski. I'm not sure I'm saying his name right. He composed probably the most comprehensive list. He's doing a workshop here. I would advise anybody who's interested in this stuff to go and, and see his workshop. Uh, he comprised probably the most comprehensive list of why medicines are not such a good thing in developing communities. Uh, you know, I put here, without, a safe, without established safety guidelines, dispensing thousands of dollars worth of pharmaceuticals in developing communities is potentially harmful. And I want to say it is harmful. You know, I could probably remove the potential. If, if we don't pay attention to what we're doing, it is harmful. Of this list I included in the booklet. This is, this is his list. It's not ours. 
and he's done a lot of research in this area. Uh, it, it is powerful, powerful list. Uh, and, it, and they are, are real strong reasons why we shouldn't be just broad spectrum throwing all kinds of drugs into these communities. Uh, there is significant potential for harm. So we need to pay attention to what we're doing and think about prescriptive medicine is one tool in our toolbox, not the only tool. Okay? There is a role and a place for prescriptive medicine in developing communities. It is much more limited than we, we want to believe it is or we practice at present. But I'm not going to read this whole thing just for time's sake because there's a lot of information we want to get through. Now, going to the fostering health system development through short-term missions. We had uh, last year, and we kept the same title, and we, we had a, a number of these case presentations that are health development focused. I want to get through one of them and kind of read some of these recommendations that I think will help you in, in that area, which is uh, you know, more in line with the title of our workshop here. Um, this is a, a case about really not staying connected with a community. A general medical team is requested by a missionary in Guatemala. The missionary's home church in Vancouver had several doctors, nurses, and non-medical volunteers that went in response to the request. The team was directed by the missionary to three communities where they held clinics and local churches. They saw 200 patients per day for seven days in a rural area that they believed had very limited access to health care. However, on the second day, Dr. Hernandez, the primary health care provider for the area, arrived to extend his welcome to the team. His clinic was just two blocks away. Later, a translator stated that Dr. Hernandez, his cousin, everybody's related, did you notice that? Um, sorry. His cousin may have to close his clinic because he is having difficulty making ends meet. Apparently, volunteer medical teams were coming to the area every two to three months, and each team that did... Um, he, his business dropped off significantly for weeks to follow. In addition, his office closed during the time the teams were there. No one wants to go to a lo local doctor when they can go to a gringo doctor. Everyone knows the gringo doctors are so much better. At church on Sunday, you run into Dr. Hernandez again and learn he is a board certified. He is board certified in internal medicine and did a fellowship in public health with the Pan American Health Organization in Washington, D.C. Very qualified, wouldn't you say, to be the health provider in that area? I think that's why it's so important that we make sure we know everything about a community we're going to that we can. Sometimes one of the one of the big problems is there's a misperception of I'm going to use this mic too. There's a uh, there's a misperception of what we feel is being provided in the community, what actually is being provided. Of that uh, is tough to establish when you're on a short-term team and when you're trying to develop a, a group to go into a developing community from over here. Uh, but we need to take our time. We need to do our, our groundwork. And we need to really partner well with local, with local missionaries who can help us in community assessment. We've got a really good community assessment form we use. I didn't place it on the disk. It actually came from, uh, from Che uh, yes. stuff and of uh, the, the Community Health Evangelism Program, but it's a really good community assessment. If you contact us, I will email it to you, or you know, I might put a roster over here, so if anybody wants us, I'll send you a link with our way of a resource page, and it's got all kinds of stuff like that on it. Uh, we need to think about the economic impact we're having on local physicians. If How many physicians do we have here? Okay. Now, uh, if a uh, Canadian physician came down and set up a tent in your parking lot <laughs> and said, well, you know, the, the medical standards here in the United States aren't real good, you know, and people don't have access to care, so we just wanted to come down and provide free care here in front of your building. How would that make you feel? Probably not real good. <laughs> uh, we need to think and just be sensitive to uh, how we interact with local medical, uh, with local medical authorities. We don't want to subvert their place of authority in the community. We want to edify them. We want to come alongside them and, and work for their priorities and their community. Uh, so how do we do that? I'm, I'm going to give you some, you know, 
basic recommendations as far as how to fit in with local health system. Can I just interject? Yeah. The other thought and is, is um, when you're in another community in another country, things are different, and that physician can be a great resource for you because they're going to have knowledge of the local problems that they're having and how to treat them in a way that will be consistent. Yeah, and, and you know, sometimes I'm going to talk about, I'll talk about this in a minute, never mind. He does that to me all the time. <laughs> um, I'm going to just kind of briefly read through these. Um, no medical team should ever practice in a country without a local health care provider working with them. We always paid a doctor or two or three, depending on how many people we thought we were going to be seeing, so that they would be there with us. And then you have someone who can write referrals. Um, sometimes you need something you just don't have at a clinic, and they're great for that. Yeah, they, they're, they're going to know the resources <laughs> And, and how to access care within the context of their system. We don't know that. We don't understand it. We have, we can't even begin to imagine the complexity of sometimes the services are available, but they have to go to this hospital to get a referral, to be referred to this hospital, to this specialty service. And, it, and the process takes two or three weeks. And but, but it is the services are there. We'll never know how to access those. We'll never know how to access proper follow-up care. Uh, we'll never know how to really access the best obstetrical care for, you know, patients that we find that are high risk. They're going to know how to do that of, in, in their communities, and they're going to know where those resources are, how far they are. We have to include them, and, and ideally we have to give them ownership of what we're doing to some extent. And another thing is sharing knowledge. They're going to share with us, and I think we should share with them. There may be some practices that we have that might be better here that we could share with them or say, you know, hey, this is how we would usually treat that, you know, and it might be helpful to them to learn some of this stuff. I've, there's wonderful programs out there where surgeons go in and teach surgeries to the physicians in that country. We need that kind of stuff, so that will help them. You use your own. <laughs> Okay, we're going to go on to the next one. All health services within a 20 to 30 mile radius need to be found, contacted, and invited to participate. Ideally, their community health goals should be assessed and the team should direct its efforts towards these objectives. When possible, local health providers should be compensated for their time. Again, actively, I'm sorry, actively promote and encourage the local health providers in their communities. Remember, often teams can cause distrust in the local providers and their care. That's the other thing. We need to be on the same page with the local provider. If you go in and say one thing and he says something else when you leave, it's going to cause a lot of distrust in the community, either for us and the next team that might come in or for that local provider. And these are all things that are common sense. We just are trying to help you remember them. Request help from the local church leaders and clinics for health education. Let them decide what health education needs to be done and what the community is capable of doing. And this is where Che can come in, and they have a wonderful education evangelism program where you're going to be doing teaching of health education and evangelizing at the same time, using biblical principles for health education, which is a great program. I love Che. Uh, set your goals realistically with each community and know your resources. Know and adhere to the WHO standards of practice for developing communities. That, That's my cue. Uh, yeah, that is your cue. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, that, that is paramount. And, and if, I can, if you take anything away from, from this as far as helping local providers and helping health system development and really taking our short-term teams in addressing the bigger issues in the world like child mortality, maternal mortality, HIV AIDS, if you want to really affect change, model effective practice for the providers. Use the WHO guidelines. And you now have the course, so there's no excuse not to. <laughs> I but. get tired of hearing IMCI sometimes, let me tell you. <laughs> Providing surgical, medical, and nursing care without government authorization is unlawful. We've already covered that. Greg, will you scroll? I don't want to mess up. He's far better at it than I am. Uh, uh, and with evangelism comes responsibility for spiritual growth. Make sure you have provided a relational venue for growth with local missionaries, local pastors, and churches. Along with education is the spiritual growth. We, we want everyone to come to the Lord. We want them to know Jesus. We're providing a tool 
for them to hear more about the Lord. And um, if you're able, there's some countries we go into and we cannot do that, but they know the love of the Lord through our hearts. So we want to make sure we don't leave any orphans, no spiritual, no medical, none. We want everybody to be well taken care of after we leave. Uh, on that note, when we talk about the ministry that we do, the spiritual ministry we do in communities, of our health education really can and should be biblical worldview driven. Chase are a great program, but just going and digging through the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to find a whole lot of stuff to do health teaching on in communities. That being said, how many use medicine just to get them into communities to do evangelism? Is there anybody here who's looked at it that way? And, and, and it, you know, there's nothing wrong with that approach. But I want us to think about of a broader context where Jesus went and he healed everywhere he went. Of, and his love and compassion went everywhere he went, and he touched people. What if Raku was a Christian? Does that mean that we shouldn't go to her community if her community is a Christian community when they suffer like they're suffering? No. That means that our heart of compassion of really needs to be there with them. Christian, non-Christian, trying to bring them to the Lord, it doesn't matter. The ministry is with, within the context of what we do. It's not, it, it, as far as we see it, as far as bringing the people to, to hear about ministry, it's all combined. God ministers to the whole person, spiritual, physical, and we need to think about what we do. We have a tremendous opportunity as healthcare professionals to walk alongside people and care for them in their time of suffering. And nobody else has that. No other profession has that ability that we have. And we need to, to look at that in itself as a ministry as well as. Uh, and that will open doors in, in, in much greater context. But we have to understand that that is, in fact, a ministry because we're doing it in the name of Jesus. Of we need to get through the book. Yeah. We're, I'm going to move along here. Of health education resources, there are a number of them. Of We went to Equip downstairs. Is anybody here from Equip? They have a great booth, of, and they have a lot of these resources available there. Of They're great health education, and a lot of them are open copyright, and you can make blow-up posters of... For communities, you can make handouts out of this stuff. Tremendous information, of, but we need to refocus, okay? Even the physicians in here, I want you to think about, there isn't anybody that should come through your site without having some level of health education. Then they should be on, moved on to a nurse where they get health education, and, and we look and we pray with them and we see how can we come alongside you in this, in your environment and in your struggles and help you figure out a way to achieve health, Okay? And that's bigger than just, you have to breastfeed. <laughs> that, that, you know, we saw that in Raku. It's so much bigger than that. Uh, but we, we have to think about how to do it. We have to pray through it with them. We have to, we have to spend the time to teach. Okay? I think and that's too, bigger than just I'm giving sorry. medicine. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I think, too, we have to understand their circumstances. You know, they may, you know, I always think of the non-compliant patient in the hospital. There may be a reason they're not compliant. You know, a lot of times you find out they can't afford the medications. They don't have the access. Well, what's our job? We have to help them figure out how to get that access. And here we have the availability of that. In that country, we have to help them figure out to get what they need. And another thought I have for you is, Kids love to help. If you have a Bible school or a church that has a lot of kids that want to help you, have them make a coloring book of brushing teeth. And um, the one book, sorry, the one, the one, this one, You Can Be Healthy, uh, is a great tool. It's like a coloring book. It's in childlike language, and it shows how to make a toothbrush out of a stick and a rag. You know, those kind of things that what they have. I mean, when I was a little girl, I'm going to age myself, my grandma had an outhouse, and we used the Sears and Roebuck. 
<laughs> and it wasn't fun, but these people, you know, they need to learn how to use the leaves, what leaves to use and whatnot, and then how to bury it. And the book actually demonstrates a lot of these kind of things. And that's something that a Sunday school group would love to try to put together and get some ideas. So there's a lot of ways that you can make your own tools, too. Yeah, there's tremendous resources out there. Uh, you know, you just need to start looking for them. Uh, great stuff on how to teach nutri child nutrition in resource-limited environments. You know, I mean, something as simple as putting a teaspoon of oil on the rice can do wonders for adding, you know, nutrition. So there's a lot of little things that we can teach people how to do to combat malnutrition, to combat, you know, maternal mortality, to combat child mortality, all of these things. They're all, most of them are responsive to low-cost community health intervention. And, and, and we're, we're, we're missing the mark here of... These, all these websites are great resources where you can print material, you can print where there is no doctor free of charge, you know, the whole book, and you have it in PDF form so you can make copies and handouts and teaching tools and all kinds of stuff. Uh, the Global Chain Network, they have a booth down here. I recommend you stop by and visit them. Real quick. Of what is Stan's booth called? Of Medical. I'm not sure. The CHE program. That's the Global CHE Network. Okay. Yeah, that's. Okay. Uh, is there anybody here from their booth? No. Anyway, they're definitely worth a stop because they have tremendous resources and tremendous training programs on how to break through. Now, that being said, there is some limitations to CHE. There is some limitations to prescriptive medicine in communities. We've said that. There are limitations to only community health education. You see, it's a balance. You know, you can't do primary care without a prevention component. And, you know, if you have, if you're a physician and you're leading a team, you have a number of nurses, you need to engage those nurses in the community health education of what we're doing. That, that's a huge component of what they've been taught, what they've been trained to do, and we need to, you know, we need to be teaching. Now this one, if you weren't, if you haven't been ready to shoot me yet, you're going to want to shoot me after this one. Stop. <laughs> We know um, your heart is here because the Lord brought you here, so we're confident you're hearing this with love. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Uh, you know, and we don't preach from Sinai by any means. We've made every mistake on this. Everyone. And that's where this book came from, this book yes. came from. We made all these mistakes, and, uh, and we all do. When we, when we work through this process of medical missions, we can make a whole lot of mistakes in the community, and we come back, we look at our, so what we did five years ago and go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we did that. Of, and, and it's a learning process, and that's why we're all here. But I want you to be familiar with the concept of paternalism. Who knows what it is? That's awesome. I'm that's glad great. to see so many hands go Because if I had said that three years ago, nobody would have raised yeah. their hand. But in, it, by definition, paternalism is defined as an attitude of a person that subordinates another as, as if they should be controlled in a fatherly way for their own good. Medical missions is probably the most paternalistic form of missions we can do. We go in with a whole bunch of medicines to a community that oftentimes hasn't asked us to come uh, and, and, and just do what we think is best for them. We need to think how to do that in a way that's responsible and in a way that doesn't subordinate local providers because that's ultimately what happens. We go in... We think we have superior knowledge, ability, and skills. Work, try to, and if we're if we're good about what we're doing, we're working alongside local providers, right? But then we think our training is superior, so we immediately subordinate them. Uh, it, it's not a good thing. So how do we how do we come alongside them and edify them? And I just want you to keep that in mind, so that when you're working beside local providers, one realize that they're Knowledge, skill, and expertise in the community that they're working in may be superior to ours. You know, they know things like they can look at a child and 85% of the diagnosed pneumonia without even using their stethoscope, okay, because they've been taught how to assess, treat, and diagnose in a limited resource environment, and we don't know how to do that. You know, a lot of us are lost without an x-ray machine. So <laughs> we, we need to respect them for what they know how to do, and, and we need to edify them in whatever way possible. And we need to do that in front of the community so the community sees that. That's why it's so important to involve them. The community needs to see that we respect them. We respect their ability and their skills and their knowledge. Okay. 
we're yeah. just about done here. Uh, I'm going to skip. There's a section on transformational development in here for short-term missions. Set some goals for practice uh, in developing communities. It's there. Uh, print it, read it, do it, pass it on, please. You know, like I said, this information of... I have to share something. There's a little typo in this, but it is so God, this typo. I was reading this to Greg last night as we were going through it, and I came to the top of this, and it says health faith model. It's supposed to say health fair model. He goes, oh, no. I said, oh, it's so perfect, isn't it? <laughs> that is just that. And I know, you know, some of you are thinking, well, she's nuts. But, yeah, I am. It's okay. <laughs> we want to think, and one of the best things we can do in that mindset shift that we're talking about and how to come alongside local providers is we want to think about what we do as international health fairs. If we can get that context as far as short-term missions and thinking about them in terms of international health fairs, there's a lot of research published. Health fairs are used by U.S. Public Health Department to really promote health, primary care and, and health screenings in communities here in the United States. You need to think about what we're doing because that's what we're doing. We, either, we may be doing it poorly, but that's what we're doing. Uh, we may be doing it well. We may be doing it poorly, but whether we call it that or not, it's an international health fair. So we need to look at it in that context so that health education becomes a large part of that tool. Primary care with you know prescriptive medicine is part of that tool but neither one is unbalanced there's a prevention aspect there's a treatment aspect not one without the other we have one minute okay <laughs> one minute well, we um, might go over a few minutes if you need to move on we understand yeah i'm gonna uh really quickly i'm gonna go through these models i'm just gonna kind of put them up here but I want you to think about other models you can use for short-term missions as, as, and, and kind of expand your idea of what short-term missions is supposed to look like. We've got uh, the community health fair. Those can be focused on child health, maternal health, uh, or they can be open to the general population, however you do that. The community health assessment, every team should do this, okay? Every team should do this. You should come back with the data necessary to establish disease prevalence in a community. When we, uh, when I do this, one of the things that we're shooting for is this. Of, uh, you know, those are your community health targets. You know, when we're when we're going through, this is kind of what I want to establish when I look at a community. I mean, this is a lot of general information. This is a pre-assessment. We'll go in, gather this data, and really look at it. Say, okay, how can we go back and what other targets can we add to this list? These are the general ones. These are the ones I know in advance that we're gonna we're gonna want to target. But when we come back of uh, when we go back to that community, what can we do? And of course we're gonna leave all this data with some a uh, healthcare provider in the community. I'm I, I didn't get to the most important part of <laughs> what we're doing here, uh, which is there's a qual whole quality section. It's available on the book. I want you to read it. Uh, I hope you'll take the time to read it. Uh, all kids should be assessed and triaged the same way. Uh, assess All kids should be assessed for protein, energy, malnutrition. There are some basic guidelines on how to do that. And all of the forms are on the IMCI part where you can collect this data. He's got me Sorry. attached here. <laughs> and uh, that's what we were looking for earlier is the forms where you collect the data, put it together. And you know what? This is a great job for a non-medical person on the team who really, you've always got a computer person or someone who likes to do that kind of thing. Collect that data, have them compile it into the um, forms so that you can pass it on. Assessing for high-risk pregnancy, this is also incredibly important. We need to know uh, these women that are preeclamptic, if they become eclamptic in a village setting, they deliver in that community, they are going to die, and so is the baby. You know, we need to find them, connect them with, with what resources are available. Uh, gestational diabetes, huge, huge concern in, in developing communities because it causes macrocytic infants. Practice standards, these w, WHO, IMCI is the practice standard. Integrated Management of Childhood Nails is the standard of practice for developing communities. You have a copy of it, go through it, take the time, take the time commitment. If you're going to take the time commitment to go, it's going to take you six to eight hours before your next mission trip to really work through the material. Take the time and do that. Click on the red arrow when you open your, uh, when you open your thing, this is what you get. Uh, 
you're going to, uh, this is the program. If I want to assess for, we're going to look at danger signs real quick and then we're done. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Promise, yeah. Uh, you know, um, I started going through this while he's pulling that up, um, and I was like, oh, brother, you know, this is way, I, this is so boring, it's mundane, but it really is valuable, and it, we, we need to do it so that we understand where they're at in a better way. Okay. Uh, each section has, there's a good tutorial, there's a test at the end of each section that you can go through. Just each, like ACLS. Each section has a video <laughs> of... I don't know if you guys can hear that, but basically, there is video sections to every single component of this. It's it's really cookie cutter. You can teach a community healthcare worker these standards, or you can teach a physician these standards. They're the same for everybody. It's just like BLS here in the United States. Okay. And you'd be surprised how many physicians have access to co computers in other countries. You can take the and disc you down with you and leave it yeah, with them. You can leave it with and them. And then they've got it, and they can pass it on to those nurses in the smaller areas where there is no doctor. Okay. In the PDFs on this, if you open the PDFs, right at the top is our, uh, is our manual. The next one is the chart book, which is this thing. Uh, in, in this chart booklet, it contains all the standards as a quick reference to carry with you in the field. tells you treatment, triage, everything you need to know is right there at your fingertips, color-coded triage guideline. Okay. And you can order the booklets. They're in like a, a Yeah, they're in a binder. You, uh, binder well, they're in here in the print, so you'll have them. So uh, anyway, I, I tried to load you guys up with resources, and I know we probably gave you way too much information. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank we you for your timing. Thank you. God for bless your you all. Do great things out there. <laughs> In the name of Jesus and love them all. <laughs> That's my job. I get to hug them. <laughs>